go. Hello, everybody. You're listening to episode 293 of the Act Percussion podcast. I am your host, Ksenia Kumjanovic, and with me are my lovely, lovely co-hosts, the man, the myth, the legend, Casey Cangelosi. Hey, how's it going? Hey, going well. How are you, Casey? Good, thanks. Good, getting ready for the new school year? Yeah, yeah, feeling ready. And this, what's called the Stanton Music Festival here is gearing up. So, yep, I actually was moving equipment just today, and we'll be moving some equipment tomorrow, loading a truck, doing all that. So it's, um, yeah, it feels like I'm getting a head start. because we're, we're playing? Yep, I'll be playing, and I'll also be putting uh, some ensembles together that we'll use for the school semester. We can't always do that, but we'll get to do that this semester. So that's cool. It feels like we're getting ahead, you know, a month in advance. It's kind of nice. What are, you, what are you playing? Any highlights? Yeah, Eric Genovin new Eric Genovan percussion quartet uh, called Celestial Cannons. That's going to be exciting. Cool. So I'll share when I get a chance. That sounds promising. Celestial Cannons. Kudos I know, right? For the title, at least. <laughs> and then we have the legend, the myth, the man, Ben Charles. Hey, Ksenia, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well. Just also getting, getting ready to go back to school here. Yeah, yeah, we all are. We're, gear, we're gearing up. Everybody, I just want to say, you know, six years later, uh, the podcast has decided to take a tiny break and we're now back in season two. I think we've beat Oprah and whoever else has had these long, long running seasons where we're we're up there, you know. Uh, But anyway, if you find that this podcast serves you, we'd love to invite you to become a supporter on Patreon. The link is in the description box. We created the participation levels so that they are quite affordable and they fit you. You could you know, jump in and give as little as $3, which is amazing. This helps us cover the costs of the podcast and a huge shout out to our Patreon circle that we have already. You help make this uh, run and you make this a possibility and you bring great ideas and conversations to the table. So please check that out if you're willing to help us out. All right, so this episode is gonna be released on August 19th and a couple of things happen on that day. One is in 1990, Bernstein had his final concert at Tanglewood with the Boston Symphony Orchestra. He uh, performed Britain's 4C interludes and Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. And um, I don't know if uh, you folks know this, I'll just quiz because Ben does that all the time because he remembers everything, but now I've actually read this and wrote it down, so I know the answer. But do you know what um, Bernstein was buried with? What score? Mahler. If I had to guess, I would guess Beethoven, but. I mean, yeah, that's a smart. Good guess, Ben. Casey was right. Mahler. What Mahler, Casey? I mean, I guess it would be uh, Mahler. Uh, isn't there one called Resurrection Symphony? Mahler 5. Is that number five? No. No. I think. Okay. But he was buried with Mahler 5. So good job. You you win, uh, well, almost, almost for $10 million. Um, he Damn. was uh, buried with it Ooh, next it. to his wife and a copy of the Fifth Symphony open to the famous Abegetto lying across his heart. So how about that? Oh, That's yeah. something to think about. You know, if you could choose to be buried with a piece of music, what would that be? White knuckle stroll. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> that's very I, I, I me. My, I want my fists around the mallets, just like this. Yeah, they need to inject your body with something so you're, so you're just like all tight and mad around it. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That's so fitting for Bernstein. And I, I actually didn't know that it was literally just a guess, uh, but I thought like he championed Mahler so much, mm-hmm. and 
I, I mean, there aren't a ton of like maulers the way Bernstein. I mean, Bernstein is kind of another mauler, like conductor, composer, like heavy duty conductor, composer. So I, I don't know. That's it, what kind of came to mind. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're right. You're smart. No DMA, but still very, very smart. Lucky guess. Um, lucky guess. Um, and our second story um, that happened on this day was that um, if you're into pop music, which I am, Lou Pearlman, the former producer of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, died in prison while serving a 25-year sentence for a Ponzi scheme and bank fraud and all that. It's a very interesting story that I won't bother you with, but if you have nothing better to do, you can go uh, to YouTube and check out the free documentary, The Boy Band Con, The Lou Perlman Story. Um, basically, he started his business in aviation and then realized that since he, uh, I think uh, he had like charter fancy luxury planes to lend out to people, and then he saw new kids on the block renting one. He's like, how did these five 20 year old boys do this? How can they afford this? And then he said, oh, I'm in the wrong business. I should be a producer for boy bands. And he got these kids to start them. And then of course, rob them of a lot of money. And um, it's really interesting to see. So how many, how many times have you seen NSYNC live, Ksenia? Sadly never, but I did see Justin Timberlake live and that was- Okay, uh, there we go. I knew, I, knew there, I knew there'd be something there. What about you, Ben? How many times? I'm sure you've seen him at least twice. That's going to be a zero for me also. Oh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You all are trying to act academic, I think. Yeah, we're trying. Yeah, I, I like Mahler more than Backstreet Boys. I've seen I've sure. seen Mahler in concert uh, several <laughs> times. What if the answer, like what score was Bernstein buried with? And it was like something in sync. Bye, 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 bye in sync. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah. Toxic yeah. by Backstreet Boys. And there you go. <laughs> Don't take us too seriously, but it is an interesting thing to check out. See how influential wealthy people can change the course of music. It's really interesting. I did I did a quick little a shallow dive on this, uh, and he defrauded investors out of more than one billion dollars, out of which three hundred million dollars is still missing. That's like crazy. Yeah, yeah, wow. he was quite the manipulator. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Definitely worth checking out. All right, so now. That was history for you. We get to move on to our guest who's going to chat with us about working in film. And of our guest, the famous Hans Zimmer said, she's such a phenomenal musician, embracing the traditions and revolutionizing our future. I'll never write another piece for percussion without having her add her creative grace and fire to it. I mean, talk about something that you can put in your CV and like etch into your car and not be ashamed of it. Um, our guest grew up in a musical family and started off learning the violin at the age of five in Serbia. So she's my homegirl. I'm very excited about this. This is a first on the podcast for me. She then moved to Slovenia and picked up percussion at 11, which she continued studying then at the Music and Arts University of the City of Vienna in Austria. All of this with Nebuša Jovan In the meantime, she won many, many prizes at national and international competitions across Europe. So Spain, Croatia, Slovenia, Bulgaria, Austria, you name it. She was recognized by the Federal Chancellor of Austria as one of the most outstanding young artists living in Vienna and was consequently awarded with their scholarship in 2016 and 17. And now she leads a diverse musical life from participating in recordings for Hollywood productions, including for such companies as Netflix, Disney, and Warner Brothers, to performing solo recitals, which she, as I heard, recently had at Nomus, a wonderful festival in Novi Sad, uh, playing with orchestras and ensembles, the whole nine yards. So everybody, please welcome the wonderful Alexandra Schukler to the show. Hello. <laughs> Hi. So nice introduction, I mean. <laughs> 
Hey, well, Stellar, we, we, we compressed it, but I think the Hans Zimmer thing could have just gone on its own. Nobody needs to say anything else if you said that about you. But thank you. <laughs> so what's up, Alexandra? Where are you? Where are you calling from? What have you been doing recently? Well, I've been in Vienna. I mean, I am now in Vienna and I had very two busy days um, because I had to finish the recording for an upcoming Netflix movie, but I cannot share what is it about. Sure. <laughs> um, and I've also had some um, video shooting for an event that it's taking place in September in Linz, also including a register, Rob Robert Tornhelm. And so it has been also exciting to be in a bit different role. I mean, playing, but in front of the camera and just being guided what to do. That's cool. That's cool. Awesome. So we really want to hear all about your involvement with film. So why don't you tell us how you got involved with it in the first place? During my studies, um, there has been an orchestra established in Vienna uh, called Synchron Stage Orchestra, uh, which role is mainly to record for film productions, music for film productions. So um, this is actually um, orchestra based of session musicians, which means that this is not some kind of steady job or anything like that, but you're just being asked a couple of days in advance if you have time to jump in and um, simply to record this film music. And that was very exciting for me. Um, and anyhow, working in these different recordings afterwards, I got asked um, to participate in the project which is called World of Hans Zimmer. So yeah, and the World of Hans Zimmer is show created by Hans Zimmer himself. Um, so I'm a band member in that show. Afterwards, Hans Zimmer asked me to be a band member in his show where he is um, performing live as well, which is called Hans Zimmer Live. And then after that, step by step, I started also recording for film music um, productions from my studio so that's long story short <laughs> I, I know so many students like young musicians they get in, into classical music through film music you know it's probably like the easiest quickest way we we hear it today and I, I guess I'm just kind of wondering like like while we're hearing how you got into it how would you recommend people like you know who do they who do they need to be <laughs> bumping shoulders with to you know, connect to the film, the classical world? Yeah, that's um, an interesting question, but I really don't have a magical recipe for that. So with me, it really somehow happened by chance. Um, and I was, of course, very open towards it, that I really enjoyed it and I really wanted to be part of it. Um, and with me, mostly it worked by recommendation. So. I guess the skills that I was delivering at certain spots that were not in the first um, stage connected to the film music itself, but somehow I had to prove myself on different gigs, different occasions um, to simply get into the circle like that. I mean, it could have been anything else, of course. So 
what I can recommend uh, maybe students in the first case, of course, besides your amazing skills, um, I mean, like practicing and um, studying and, you know, hours spent in basements, I really recommend that you should be reliable. Like, I think that's the one very, very important thing. Um, why would people maybe come back to you and call you for um, different occasions? So with me, it really worked that I entered this orchestra, synchronous stage orchestra, also a bit by chance. It was just newly founded that they needed percussionists. Um, so there I started. I was really enjoying it, but the thing is with, with those kind of orchestras, you really have to be a good sight reader because most of the literature that you get um, is being delivered at the spot. I mean, if you're lucky, you get it maybe a day or two in advance, but that's definitely something that counts. So, and that it's very important. Um, so yeah, after that, I got recommended to the world of Hans Timmer because of the skills that I have shown already at the film music sessions. So that that's somehow my part of the story, getting into it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, when you know we were preparing for this uh, podcast, I, I had a separate conversation with Alexandra about the same thing. And uh, I told her how I really appreciated how quick to respond she was to everything. I mean, it's just like I sent her a message, ping, she messages back immediately. And it's just a person who is really, really responsive, very professional. And yet also even through texts, I could see how positive a person you are, how you're a problem <laughs> solver. You're like, okay, this hour doesn't work. How about try this hour? Okay, girl, all is good. <laughs> I think people really want to work with those people, especially when you have such short, like quick turnarounds where something has to be done really quickly. You want someone who's not a Debbie Downer. You want someone who's going to actually pick up the phone and respond to you in case something goes wrong with the session or whatever you know may happen. So I think Alexandra is definitely that kind of person that's just so jolly to be there and is a badass player. So you combine the two and you want to go on tour with her for two months and play this awesome music all the time. So that's that's definitely something that um, I think helps. Well, um, I mean, I'm not always responsive, of course, when it's about professional things I am, but I mean, I have to have some you know airbags where I'm just like leaving the phone on the side and not checking it or not going on social media or stuff like that of course of course all all in <laughs> good taste um I was just gonna mention you know if this question uh were to come from especially someone from say if, if it was a, a kid from Serbia like like I was <laughs> or like we were um you might think that you can't get into Hollywood because you live in this remote area because you're not in LA and sure that might be a little bit more difficult but guess what actually hollywood does outsource a lot of its recording to say eastern european smaller cheaper orchestras just to be able to do this you know quicker cheaper so on it's more affordable so if you don't know where to go just find out whether in your city or maybe in the capital city of your country there is an ensemble and then you look up who's the member of who are, who are the members of that ensemble and then go talk to them because that might happen to you. I had a very similar experience to Alexandra's when I was in the Belgrade Philharmonic that they saw my sight reading skills and my responsibility skills and then invited me for some productions where we had the composer on Skype and we had these remote sessions with, with Hollywood too. So 
you know, don't, don't give up. Doesn't matter if you're in LA, it's great if you are obviously, but if you're not, there's still always room and you're always auditioning, right? It's like every gig is your audition for the next gig. So just keep, keep on top of that. One thing also about living in LA, like one downside to it is you have to live in LA. <laughs> just so horrible. I mean, the weather awful. Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, some from, I, some people say it's it's really terrible. <laughs> well, you know, it's a lot more competition, so it's not all roses, and you know, it's not all amazing. Everywhere. But I mean, you hear these stories, like you know, the UCLA like faculty, like the professors, like they have like six roommates and they live an hour commute, and like I mean, you just hear that stuff like all the time. You know, sure. it's just like extremely expensive and and yeah and it's very very hard to do that old story of like i'm gonna go out there and just work my way to the top okay i hope you have a lot of money you know yep yeah. yep all right so alexandra we all want to know what hans Zimmer is like actually oh. Ksenia, if i could interrupt i was gonna really quickly for maybe some of our younger listeners that don't know who hans zimmer is i was just gonna mention he's one of the most revered film composers of all time uh he's worked on i i just looked at his imdb page and of course it has everything listed but everything from the simpsons to the lion king to wonder woman to Pir pirates of the caribbean to finding nemo so i just because we had been dropping that name wanted to mention uh who actually Hans Zimmer is for the for the uninitiated, but yes, we were wondering what is uh, what he's like and what it's like to work on the uh, the Hans Zimmer experience. Yeah, um, yeah, he's amazing. He's a person very very down to earth, um, amazingly creative, and it's extremely inspiring to work with him, to spend rehearsals with him, and. Um, somehow really a modest person. I mean, some people have maybe imagined that, you know, people that are known are maybe behaving in certain way, but I'm really, really um, glad that I have the opportunity to work with him and to get him known personally and that he has also somehow became a mentor of mine in a way. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the remote sessions? So stuff that we can do even when we can't tour and we can't go on these amazing experiences of playing for people live. What does a remote session look like actually for, again, as Ben said, the uninitiated? Yeah, the remote sessions normally looks like that, that you get asked again, very short term. I mean, at least, according to my experience, I don't know, maybe some people have more time, but for example, in my case, I get the email and they ask me, hey, Alexandra, here is the package. You have audio, you have MIDI, you have score, you have click track, and do you have time? Are you willing to do that? And we would need it delivered like within three days back. And then you say yes or no or whatever. If you need some extra space to do it, it's also possible to solve it, but I prefer not to <laughs> extend um, the date of delivery. Um, and then what is necessary to have um, equipment uh, for recording, you need audio interface, you need microphone, you need cable for microphone and you need a program 
in which you're going to record yourself. Um, so a couple of them, like really simple one to use. It's already GarageBand. Now I cannot promise that you can do a high quality um, audio recordings. Maybe it is, I haven't tried. Uh, I was doing just some songs for fun and it worked great. <laughs> um, but other than that, I'm using Logic Pro um, as my program. Um, it's called DAW. You can also use Pro Tools. There are different, different, different possibilities, but somehow I went with this um, because I also spoke to colleagues of mine and um, simply that's the advice that I've got. Um, and after that, nothing. You press you record, you check the score, and um, that's it. I say, I guess they have someone like level everything and like, like, I guess, like how professional do you have to submit it? Um, you know, like, is somebody gonna EQ out the air conditioner that's on or is, and is somebody like, if you record too low, like, are they going to bump up your volume? And so I guess someone else does all that, right? They stitch it all yeah, together. Yeah, of through course, the you're not obliged to be a sound engineer. You're just obliged to deliver a recording in a good audio quality. Um, I had a really, really funny experience because it was my first remote session, like for Hollywood production, I got asked, I was super excited and super nervous because I had no idea how to use interface, nor mics, nor anything, but I really wanted to do it. I mean, I had an idea how, of course, I looked some videos and tested it out, but somehow I, I, I jumped into cold water, basically. And um because I didn't know how to position the mics over marimba. I was trying out and trying out and then I hear, ah, oh, I hear it separately from left and right and I don't want marimba to sound like this. So then I was just pressing some things around and I'm like, oh great, now it sounds really, really balanced. Like I hear it's the same from left and right uh, side of my headphones and um, nothing. I was recording like really like three days whole day long you know and finally i'm exporting the files the audios and sending them and after two days i get an answer hey alexandra um could you please do the next recording um with stereo because you recorded everything in mono and like we would really need like the stereo <laughs> and i was thinking oh my god like what is i i wanted really just to disappear you know <laughs> It was so terrible. I really messed it up. Uh, but anyhow, they are really professional, so they can sort these things out. I mean, so oh, they, my first, my they first still fail, them. I survived it. I mean, but it was really, um, I mean, really, really, I don't know. For me, it was extremely embarrassing. But I'm glad that they had understanding for that, so um, that it worked mm -hmm. out. So yeah, if you, in case, if anybody's recording marimba, please do it. Stereo, you have two channels, so be sure that you are recording with channel one and channel two in whatever program you're doing it. <laughs> so, and they still accepted it in mono, though, right? Like they were able to make it sound stereo. They didn't have yeah, to redo yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, That's cool. Well, because we, I, I was, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. We've just talked on the show off and on about like how much of this do we need to teach in school? 
And I've always been an advocate of like, no, just like dive in, jump into cold water, like you said, and you'll figure it out. Um, and then other people are very vocal about like, oh, no, we need to have like a huge curriculum on this because it's so important nowadays. And I'm just an advocate for like, no, 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 just like you'll figure it out. And I'm glad you told us your story because you did figure it out. Well, I think that, you know, um, of course, it's nice to record yourself and to be able to record yourself, but not everybody is a type who likes to explore and do this. You know, there somebody just wants to practice and play and maybe are not so interested in these things. So I think, um, I don't know, it's nice to be prepared, but once it's there, it's not, you, you'll manage, like it's not complicated. <laughs> It's yeah. not complicated. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, probably if you did take a course, it probably did tell you, I'm not talking to any one of you here, but to our listeners, perhaps some of you did take a course. And perhaps at the beginning of the course, someone said, you must record in stereo, not in mono. But unless you like do this crash and burn on your own, you might lose that. <laughs> you know, it might just evaporate from your head and then you go back and you make the mistake and then you, you know, they say, hey, please don't, could you please change it the next time around? And then you're like, okay, now I definitely know. So some things are um, better to learn when you feel them on your own skin, definitely, than to like read them in a textbook. It doesn't work as well as we'd like it to. Um, awesome. So why don't you tell us about the equipment and the space that, you know, if we had a student and someone really wants to start doing this, well, can they do it in their bedroom? And what can they do to help themselves before they can go out and spend millions of dollars on a fancy studio? Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I really, um, I support more the way of um, saving on a budget because you can get a really good equipment um, on a lower budget and you don't need, um, I don't know, a spaceship to record in there. Um, I recorded um, the first things really from my home. It was a room, um, like at that point you realize actually how much the sounds can be disturbing. You know, I had this microwave that was buzzing but I was never noticing it until the point that I actually started making the recordings. And then, you know, you have to struggle with these additional things because you don't know, it's not about turning it off. It's, I cannot plug it out because it's something is blocked. You know, it's just then you spend, I don't know how much time to, to solve this issue. So in any case, it's very possible to do it in your room. Just um, take care that there is not much noise coming from outside. I know that I would take like my mattress from bed and just put it on windows um, to dampen the sound from outside a little bit or I had these huge marimba bags and would put them in the corners around you know for to pick up the bass a bit more that it's not that, that there is not so much reverb um yeah I mean if you have two mics a computer program interface I think I said everything and the instrument of course I think you're good to go yes. You know, speaking of muting everything, is that something they want? Do they want it dry? Like they, yeah, they want should... nothing reverberant because they want to add it themselves, right? Exactly, because you have really, really a lot of possibilities um, uh -huh. when you are editing. I mean, when somebody is editing the sounds and how is this merging into this whole picture of all instruments and the symphonic sound. So, um, 
yeah, you're really supposed to send it as dry as possible. So stereo, high quality, dry. Yeah, uh, Alexandra, I was wondering, we spoke with Emil Richards a few years ago, who, who unfortunately passed away in 2019, but uh, is a Hollywood recording legend. And he had some really interesting insight on how many takes uh, they were now doing. And he said it used to be you, you would do one take. And he said the first take was always the best one. Maybe you would plug some things for another take, but that was it. Uh, and he said now they do just hundreds of takes. Uh, and so with the virtual thing, I was wondering how many takes do you end up with? How many iterations of revisions do they send you? And like, what does that process look like? Well, I have two different experiences because my experience of recording in the actual studio with an orchestra or just, you know, being in the synchron stage where I was mostly recording, um, you have there a conductor, bar counter, um, audio engineers. I mean, you're really, really somehow supported from all the sides. And there normally it, it goes very, very fast. I mean, it's not um, like one, two, three takes. If the take is good, then we just make one for safety just to have two. But um, I've never experienced that we were doing more than three or four takes. Um, now, when I'm alone, <laughs> then I have to be the person who is playing and setting it up and listening to it. Um, so then I'm being really, really, really picky. And um, I don't know, I really have to listen carefully if I hear some noise, if the stick clicked, if uh, I moved and scratched the marimba bar, you know, I'm really being very, very uh, precise about that. and. I don't know, it depends what am I playing, but um, the good thing about it is that I'm always on my own, so I'm not having it remotely like that they are at the same time on the other side and that we are doing it over Zoom or however, like I get the material, I record it, I send it, and in case there is something to record additionally or any kind of information or additional takes that I should take, then I get the feedback. So um, somehow I try to do the best that I can. And um, I don't know, it depends how challenging the part is. I mean, it can be one take, it can be, I mean, although in case if I have one, then I'd still do the second one for safety and pick the better one. But if it's something challenging like fast notes fast tempo and you see the score for the first time then it can go and go yeah i, I was just going to mention mention for the uninitiated i mean it it sounds like oh you can do as many takes as you need so like you can get a perfect so this this should this is easy like anyone can do this until you do it <laughs> and no, then no, at that it's... point it's like you you yeah you realize you hear every little tick and i've done a few little like uh, nothing like a Hans Zimmer score, but a couple like uh, little multi-track recordings for friends and like playing a chimes part. And you're just like, yeah, I just have to like lay down a few quarter notes on chimes. And then you're like, no, like, but the 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 G, I didn't like my beating spot or like oh, the C was just ever so slightly late. Like, let me do that one again. It's so hard to record at that level. Like, it, it sounds like it should be so easy, but it's so not. <laughs> well, it's it's really not easy it's fun but you really have to be 
so concentrated and you know like when i'm in the studio on my own you know i just start working and i just work and then my first break is maybe after i don't know two and a half hours or three hours and then then i noticed actually how much i i i already invested um the energy and everything then i then i feel that i should take a break but still it's very different like if you're with the orchestra and there's this take in this bar counter and click is running and your heart is beating like crazy you know because you should really do your best and you shouldn't be the one um who, because of who they are taking this and recording it again you know like it's it's really a bit it's a huge responsibility i think I was going to say, you know, on that same uh, Emil Richards episode that Ben mentioned, he talked about how things have changed and you used to talk to the composer the most. And now, like the producer or the director or the five producers involved, they're in the studio room. Of course, this is a live setting with like a full orchestra. And he went on this beautiful rant about how horrible he thought that was and how, you know, 30 years ago, it would have been like, get out of here. You're the director, you're the producer. We need the, this is about the composer's vision. And, and it sounds like, you know, you get the material, you get the click track and it's pretty clear what you need to do, but is there any um, back and forth with the composer? Is there any back and forth with the producer or the director? Or uh, I'm, I'm guessing all those decisions are kind of like already made before they send that material out to you? Um, of course. Uh, the score that is sent and delivered is kind of the material that you should record. Uh, but there can be suggestions from composers mostly. Um, just to do it a bit differently or to change some note here and there in this specific take or something. So you have to be also open for that, that you should just, you know, rewrite the music a bit and be able to play it on the spot um yeah but it's 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 simply how it works and i think that's also the 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 charming thing about it you know that it's not okay it's like that and now we are not doing anything else and i really like it because now since i'm recording in my studio they're really open for artistic input that you have like um in case if you think that something might work better in terms of sticking or whatever you know sometimes our formula technique doesn't really work with everything with all the chords that you have to maybe play and um i mean i've always um, sensed really really positive response from their side in those terms another thing that you mentioned when we had the conversation and i want you to talk about it here is that you sometimes might receive not a score you might not receive a nice looking score. <laughs> what happens then? Yeah, exactly. Um, because this music is really like being, like you're really getting the fresh material. So sometimes there is simply no time yet to put everything uh, into a program which would write score. So then I just get the MIDI file and I get the instructions, what am I supposed to record? And in the MIDI file, you already have the marimba or vibraphone or whatever you have to uh, play. So you can actually read the score from the MIDI file, the music, which is not precisely written. It's always a bit like, 
shaky, but since you have audio and click, it's it's really not a problem. I mean, once I also got like piano score, um, but they told me like where in media to search for that. So it can be a bit <laughs> exciting also in that way, you know? Um, yeah, but that's really not, not so complicated. I mean, you really literally just click into a MIDI file and on the track that you're supposed to record and you have it. Yeah, for those who don't know, right, whenever you're working in a DAW and you're seeing MIDI information, you can click and change the view and see it sort of as sheet music view, except that it's usually, it looks really, really clunky. <laughs> um, so it might be a bit trickier to, to read. That's why you got to be fast with your thinker with all this music. Um, so we were talking about equipment and you told us about your bedroom studio situation. Now, how have you upgraded now that you've moved into a real studio and how much has that cost you? What should people expect? Oh, well, I really, um don't know how much it cost me because again in that studio i'm lucky to have already the room in room constructed um room in room construction it's called uh, so there is like additional dampening uh for the noises outside and also like me playing is not so hearable outside as well um i put um on my walls i have panels um, that are like made out of foam and they are very, I don't know, affordable. I think, I don't remember how many do you get in one package, but it's like 80 euros maybe for the whole package. Am I allowed to talk in numbers? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> um, and you get like 10 of them. So I needed just one package to put around in my studio and I got additional two base absorbers but you can also build them yourself. Now, I didn't have the patience to do that. I don't know exactly how, but you can really search the internet and you can build them yourself. I mean, even on the walls, you can mount some things. It should be just like um, catching these additional frequencies and making it dry as possible. Um, then uh, just interface that I'm using is actually, that I'm using is actually this one. Focus right. Oh yeah. It has two cool. channels. You see. <laughs> and it's I think around 200 euros or 250 euros. I'm not sure. So yeah, I tried also more expensive ones. Like that's really the professionals, professionals are using that Pharrell is using, and um, which is again like I don't know, 700 euros, for example. But then I compared. And I just decided to stay with Focusrite because for me at this point now it works. And I preferred maybe to invest more in microphones. So I didn't go for the, I, um, I don't know, cheapest possibility, which I don't know now which would be, but um, the microphones that I'm recording, for example, Marimba with uh, are called AKG and um, C214 is the model. They're really great. There is, uh, they are around, I don't know, I think you get a pair of mics for 500 euros or almost 600 euros. I'm not sure exactly. There is the better version of those mics, which is AKG C414, but 
if you're starting out, I wouldn't go for that because you don't know how long do you want to stick in that if you want to. So I would just really go for these ones like C hundred four hundred. C414, I really like being used. I know that in like recording studios in Synchron Stage where I've been recording, like they are really, they are using, using them there. So um, for your personal use, I would really stick to that. And also what is really cool, um, like when I'm recording TomToms, I mean, I'm happy to have the support from SE Electronics. That's like a younger company for microphones. Uh, I don't have the microphone here, but they're really practical for mounting them. Like on TomToms, you can mount each separately. They're small, um, also affordable. I don't know the price exactly, but they're called V-Kick. And that's for the kick drum. It's a Actually, I have, a, I have a, um, a 414 and... Ah. It's great, but I haven't been able to compare it to the 212 myself, but I hear everything out there using the 212s and I think, yeah, that sounds like my 414. Um, just a theory I have, I'm, I'm not basing this off um, any, any evidence, but my own suspicion, like the 414 is a really old microphone. Mm -hmm. It goes way, way back, just like the old SM57, the Shure SM57. I feel like companies, like they keep the old one the same way, but production is more expensive to make it the old way, but they update like the same mic, but with new technology. And that makes it a lot cheaper to produce. And, and AKG, I tend to use a lot of AKG stuff. It seems like you can see that in the series. It's like, okay, the 414 is like the old historic one. And it's great. It's been updated too, but it's probably so expensive because of um, it, it has that old build quality to it. And then the 212 is like the newer version. And it's only cheaper because it's, it's, it's just new technology. That's just kind of my suspicion because they, they sound so much alike. Well, I had, I tried out both and compared both because I was searching for something that I was recording for myself, like with which ones would I go? I think at the end, it's really your personal taste and your personal decision. Like, what do you feel or hear yourself somehow what is closer to you, to your ears simply? So I went still with 214. Although I had the possibility to record with 414. Simply it resonated better with me. Maybe I already got used to them, but it, it resonates better for the sound imagination of marimba that I have, or at least the sound that I would like to hear on marimba. So I think yeah. it's very, also very individual. And I think that speaks to your experience and your artistry, because we hear people say that all the time, like, well, you should use a mallet that suits you or that you like or and it's and to, to really young folks. They're like, I, they don't know yet. And they're like, I don't know. Is that good? Like, I just hit this with this. Is that is that what good sound is? You know, like it it, it takes experience and training and time to even get an opinion, you know, exactly said well said but i like your uh your conspiracy theory about how they work cangelosi i think it's good. deep yeah the yeah that the, someone's gonna akg is gonna shut us up you know <laughs> take us off the air yeah um well alexandra i'd also love to know uh, how does one get paid for international work um i mean i feel like folks in the u.s 
which I think are most of our listeners, they get a lot of work and there's so much land here and you get to work with people who live four hours away by plane and it's still paying is really like getting paid is really easy. But what happens when you're in Vienna and you want to get paid from Hollywood? Like, how does that work? Well, this works in a way simple. Like I just have to, um, because it's US Europe. So I'm really not a specialist about taxes. <laughs> so I'll just give some kind of a simple <laughs> version. So the payment itself, it's not complicated at all. This, you just, I just have to give my bank data like IBAN and BIC or SWIFT codes, which I had problem once with a transaction because the BIC code um, was different if I'm getting transactions from the United States. But I didn't know that. I called the bank. They told me, no, you're, you, you should use the same one that you have on your card. I went to the bank. They again told me, no, you should use the same one. But I said, but I keep getting the mails that they can't transfer me the money with this code. And then after I tried three times to ask some other people, uh, I mean, people who are working in the bank, then they found out that actually it's a different SWIFT code. So um, those are these tiny things that you don't pay attention or you don't, simply don't know, but then you'll find them out. And then in the terms of taxes, um, in Austria, I don't know how exactly it works, but definitely, I'm not, I don't know how it works exactly, but <laughs> it's also not a big, it's not a big deal because in Austria, then your whole amount that you receive is being taxed accordingly, I think, to your Austrian income, but based on your general income. I don't know the exact percentages because I just give it to my accountant uh, because here as a freelancer, I mean, I don't know, probably in the States as well, but um, you, you, have to have an accountant who is doing these things for you because I think alone I would be really I, I don't think that you're allowed even to do it on your own here I just had one that uh from Bulgaria um a payment from Bulgaria and um um from our podcast actually uh Ksenia um, yeah. yeah yeah that's right I did a little zoom class for them and um yeah, it's like we don't have a IBC number, but we have a SWIFT code. And she was thinking, oh, you got to have this number. That's what they said. And like, whatever, like it always seems to work out. You know, you just just follow the instructions, you know, don't don't let that uh, turn you off from this kind of work, I guess I would say to the young, young folks. Yeah. Although, isn't it that in States you're getting paid mostly or that it's really common with with, with checks? or paper checks, how, how are they called? Yeah, we do that a lot. Yeah, yeah. because they, I got asked, um, but I simply couldn't do it that way in Europe. So that's why the transaction took much, much longer mm -hmm. than it would take if I would be maybe in the States or have the possibility to do it with checks. But um, yeah, I mean, these are just the pro little little things that might delay your payment, but it's not uh, such a big deal. Is there not a history with checks in Europe? I 
really don't there, there there is it's just uh it's really really complicated especially if you're getting a check from another country and a foreign currency like for example i recently which i thought was incredible um i got a check from hong kong from some like leftover taxes from a couple of years ago and i got the check in to, to the U.S. delivered to the U.S. because I no longer have an account in a Hong Kong bank. And I went to Chase, which is this huge bank, my bank, and they said that they can't cash that check because they don't have Hong Kong in their like economy map. Mm -hmm. Hong Kong, like that's that's the economic, like the center of economy in Asia and Hong Kong dollars don't pop up on there. So they had to go through a special thing where I had to leave all this stuff with them and then wait for weeks. Literally, I think I had to wait for six weeks for this money to be deposited to my account because they had to go through a bunch of stuff and they charged me a nice like 10% fee to be able to cash that money. So it can be really tricky. And yes, you'll definitely bump into some of these roadblocks, but just, you know, keep insisting whatever the person tells you who's paying you, just go to the bank and be like, well, they said this, how do we interpret this? Help me, help me, help me. And you'll get the money eventually. <laughs> but you'll have to learn it's different, like whatever country you're getting the money from, whatever country you're in, da, 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 it's like, it's a whole spiel, but don't so get you, So you're saying it's a good idea. You're saying it's a good idea to go to the bank and like make a big stink and start a like, your fist on the counter. Should you should you threaten them? Is it a good idea to threat? Make a threat to Always people? Like that? The best of ideas. Okay. Always because then they work faster. <laughs> See, that's how it works. Where we come. No, just be really nice, of course, and accommodating. And just keep asking. Well, how can we do this? Well, please help, and it'll work out. Okay. Hey, hey, is it is it tacky? I mean, it's definitely tacky. But just tell us if you don't want to answer it. I'd love to know, like, how much do you make for one of these sessions? Like, I know a, a lot of young people are probably listening, thinking, like, okay, like, can I make a like, how much of my living can I make doing this, or could I make my whole living doing it? Mm, you're asking me if you can live out of sessions. Yeah, like, how, what what's kind of the range of of money you can make? Um, on I don't sessions? know. I think it really depends. Um, when are you starting? Where are you starting? Um, probably it is possible to live just out of um, recording sessions if you bring them or if you are active enough or if you're simply getting enough offers um, to live only of that. But then it's also the question if that's enough for you. So I don't know. I mean, I started with 30 euros an hour in the earlier days, which I, I think also like when you're starting out, you shouldn't be like maybe too, you know, you're starting out, you also have to like learn how does this work. Um, it's, it's just so neat, like understanding the tech of it all, like what you've told us about, hey, you get your packet, you get your click track, here's the equipment you use. I mean, it's like the equipment you describe is like the same equipment um, a lot of students and my, myself were like making for YouTube videos. And it's like a lot of people have that already. And if you can do it remotely, um, what a what a cool thing to try to get into, you know, even if you're just starting out. And yeah, if you can play some triangle on a film score and make $30 an hour, that's that's or 30 euros an hour, even better, like that's probably worth looking into, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, but um, it's uh, what I want to say that doesn't matter now if film music or contemporary music or whatever music, I really advise that 
everybody should be somehow open for everything because I mean 10 years ago I really didn't know that I I would be working in film it really came across to me and I accepted it and I'm very very happy that I'm working in it um so I would just really suggest to be open for everything because it can really open your horizons in a completely different direction and that the standard things either you have to get into the orchestra or you have to uh, start teaching you know on whatever level like that that's the only possibility um, as your job or as uh, I don't know after you're finished with your studies well Alexandra as we move toward wrap here we had a couple of questions from social media we wanted to make sure we got to we had an Instagram question from Grin Osipov he says say hello from Grisha Osipov ask her how the pandemic changed her percussion routine and gigs I know Grisha very, very, very well. I played with him. Um, so hi, Grisha. <laughs> um, yeah, well, pandemic affected um, my concert performance a lot. Like I really, really performed much, much less. But one door closes, another one opens up. That's the time where I really got um, the remote sessions. And um, I'm really, really thankful to get the opportunity and possibility to do that. Um, so I was basically mostly being in my studio and, you know, working on some things. I will also announce soon, hopefully, the video that I've been working on and made the arrangement that I cannot tell you yet what, but stay tuned because I hope it will be really come out soon. So I did the whole arrangement. I recorded everything. Um, I didn't produce it, but, um, or I, I didn't mix it sound-wise, but yeah, that was like some kind of creative work that I was doing. And um, yeah, I don't know, trying to, to enjoy in the possible moments that you've got um, being home and in the studio. I mean, I, I have really a good, good, um, position of the apartment and so it's like 10 minutes away so I can really jump there whenever I want. Okay, so we had a social media question uh, on Instagram from Ken Sultani, cellist. What's your favorite film score? My favorite film score, I would say, oh, there are many, Inception or Lion King, or maybe The Incredibles is also amazing film score. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would put that as um, top three, let's say. Well, that's that's awesome. Uh, thank you, Alexandra, for being with us and for sharing. This was excellent introduction to young folks on what they should be on the lookout for when wanting to work in film music. Thank you so much for inviting me and I'm very, very happy to meet you all here virtually and I hope that we can meet at some point very soon somewhere. Yeah, yeah thanks so much. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Ben. Carly, we miss you. We'll see you next time. Um, and everybody, um, we'll see you on episode 294 of the podcast. Bye. Later. Bye. Oh.